The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Uh, the audiobook is up. So we have uh, my new book. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. We have the ebook. You can listen. You can read it right now. We have the paperback. You can get it tomorrow. And now we have the audiobook. And you can listen to it right now on iTunes or on audible.com, which I highly recommend if you don't have Audible yet. Um, and the, the audiobook came out a couple days ago. It's already sold more than the paperback, which is good. But like, I wouldn't have written a book if I knew. Right. <laughs> Technically, this is a three-hour audiobook, the next three hours of the show. But uh, alas, either way, whether you want the e-book, the paperback, or the audiobook, it's all available on Amazon right now. Just search for Mike Slater or uh, How to Change Someone's Mind. Also up on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and find all the links there. Okay, today, or I should say the first hour, uh, a little awkward. Just going to throw it out there, but uh, it's important, so we're going to do it. San Diego Unified, that is uh, my local school district, they just voted the other day, 5 nothing, to approve a sex ed curriculum. Now, before I commented on them, or before I came to an opinion on them, I wanted to watch it. And your school district may be using the same curriculum. It's very popular. It's called amaze.org amaze.org and you can go there now and you can watch all these videos that they're showing your sixth graders so i want to talk about three videos i want to play three parts parts of three different videos uh the one the first one i watched because i listen when i watch this uh, it's probably gonna be bad but i'm gonna keep an open mind and we'll see see what it's like the first video i watched was the, the video that they show sixth graders about pornography. And I was 12 seconds into it and said, yep, that just, just it's bad. Just as, just as we thought. Then I clicked another video and it was all about Glenn now living life as Glenda. So that's, it's another great video, which is the second video I saw. This is the third video, and we're going to work backwards. So we'll go three, two, and then one. Uh, again, this is sixth grade. This video is called Being Female, Male, Transgender, or Gender Fluid. I just want to play a clip of it here. Uh, just it's all, it's all cartoons. It's all poorly drawn cartoons, but like poorly on purpose. Uh, the third person you're going to hear sighing in this video is a janitor who from the waist up is wearing a janitor's uniform and then the camera pans back and you see the janitor from the waist down is wearing a pink tutu as he prances off the screen. Just so you can imagine that. Uh, Let's take a little bit of this video. And again, this is being female, male, transgender, or gender fluid. Everyone has a way of expressing their masculinity and femininity to the world. That is your gender expression. Everyone has the right to be respected, no matter how they look, act, or dress. The way a person expresses their gender doesn't tell us anything about who they are attracted to or which gender they feel they are inside. Gender identity is a person's internal sense of whether they are male or female. 
For most people, their gender identity matches their physical body. This is called cisgender. For others, their gender identity might not match their physical body. They may have been born with male body parts, but inside feel certain that they are female or vice versa. This is called being transgender. People who have a gender identity that is not binary, sometimes called gender fluid, gender queer, or gender nonconforming, find that their gender identity does not fit into specific categories of male or female, but rather exists along a continuum. Your gender identity is not something you can choose or change. No matter your gender expression or identity, it is normal to have questions about who you are and if what you are feeling and experiencing is normal. Finding an adult you can talk to at home or at school can be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So just know, 10 years ago, and I've told this story many times before, 10 years ago, my college roommate busts through the door. I distinctly remember this. I don't even know why I remember this because my college roommate, like we had a lot of interactions, but this one I always remember and now it's just super relevant. Uh, but he busted through the door and said, Slater, you are not going to believe what they taught in class today. He was pre-med and he was taking some gender and sexuality class. And he went on this whole rant about how they taught that gender is on a spectrum and there's no such thing as bisexual because that implies that there are only two genders and everyone is somewhere on this spectrum. That was 10 years ago in college and now being taught to sixth graders as if it's gospel. Do you see how quickly, how quickly it seeps down? You know, the left is always critical of, uh, of trickle down economics and they say trickle down economics doesn't work. Now we'll share another day why there's no such thing as trickle down economics. But anyway, point is they don't think trickle down economics work, but they're in the business of trickle down culture. They establish a culture from academia up high and it trickles down. And here it is trickling down into your sixth graders classroom. I talked about this on my local show and talked about how this is being taught in sixth grade. And then I got an email from someone who is in a different school district in San Diego and they're having a parents night about in their elementary school about gender expanding children, gender fluid and gender expanding. <laughs> so that's elementary school. Up until about 14 seconds ago, there was no such thing as cisgender. And now it's just, it's just normal sex ed. So here's the key line I want to talk about. I don't know if you caught it. It was near the end. The narrator said, your gender identity is not something you can choose or change. Your gender identity is not something you can choose or change. Okay, so let's break this down. Uh, gender identity, that's how you feel on the inside. That's your internal sense of whether you're male or female. They say that that can't be a choice. Hmm. It's nothing you can choose or change. I think that's really dangerous to say because, as we've talked about before on this topic, a vast majority, 90%, of kids who feel confused about their gender identity, a vast majority, almost all of them, when they hit puberty, no longer feel confused. But if you're telling a sixth grader, maybe in the middle of their confusion, that they can't change how they feel, is this video and is this message not stunting 
a kid's natural progression out of this confusion? Does that make sense? Let's break it down. Let's say you have a 12 year old boy, 12 year old boy feels confused about their gender identity. Maybe this boy feels more feminine, feels like a girl. And they watch this video and this authority, the teacher, the district, the adults say, you can't change. You can't change. You can't choose and you can't change your gender identity. Doesn't that tell that boy, you know what? You feel like a girl. You are. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You are a girl. That's what, that's what they just said. You can't choose, you can't change. But that's not true because 90% of kids who have that confusion grow out of it and do change from being confused to getting their thoughts in line with the reality of their biological gender. 90%. And this video says you can't, but 90% do. That's just wrong. Now, the bigger problem is this is a philosophy that's held by many doctors. We shared a couple months ago an editorial written in the New York Times by a Yale med school doctor. Uh, and also the Boston Children's Hospital in particular, but many other children's hospitals across the country who prescribe hormone-blocking drugs to kids who are confused. Uh, these hormone-blocking drugs, hormone drugs stop puberty, stops normal hormonal development, keeping these kids in a confused state. And the point is they do that until they get older, and then it will be easier to perform surgery. That plan only makes sense if you believe that you your gender identity can't change or this kid's gender identity can't change, which isn't true because 90% of gender-confused kids grow out of their confusion, 90%. Now, that's the choose part. I, I got to take a break. I want to come back and I want to talk about the Uh, Excuse me, that's the change part. I want to come back and talk about the choose part because this is all a part of the born this way philosophy, right? You're born this way. And culture may say that's the case, but science does not. I want to talk about that next. Amaze.org, it may be worth asking to see if your school uh, is teaching this curriculum and we're just getting started that's video number one got a few more i want to share do it next mike slater show on the blaze radio network spread the word mike slater we'll continue in a moment on the blaze radio network Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, I want to play another video. There's three I want to play. Uh, this is number two. So we just talked about the, the transgender one where they say you can't choose or change your gender identity. You can't choose it or change it. Uh, we just talked about the change part, which just isn't true. Uh, now I want to talk about the choose part. Let me play another video here. This is called Love is Love, Free to Be Me. Here it is. Oh, oh real quick, I should say. The background. Lesbian. Sorry, yeah, yeah, let me stop real quick. So you can pull it back up. Sorry. The background music is so loud. Like, this, the videos that they make are really well done, like production quality wise, but for some reason, this one is super loud, the background music. I apologize, but it's not a long clip. Here it is. <laughs> 
like boys. I think I'm gay. She said, that's cool. As long as you're happy. You can be attracted to whoever you want. Just telling her made me feel better. I felt so relieved. I felt so lost and alone before. I decided to tell my aunt what had been bothering me. Of course, I was nervous. I told Can her you that I like girls. Two. That I think I'm. Uh, sorry, skip to one fifty in this video here, just for the sake of uh, hurrying it along here. One fifty. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, heterosexual, or something else. They're all. are free to be exactly who you are and like whomever you want there you go sex ed sixth grade uh okay let, let me let me cut to the chase i'm sorry i should have started off with this uh, it's amazing to me that we think it's that people think it's appropriate at all to have the school teach our kids about sex this is entirely only a thing because parents aren't teaching their kids about sex. We have outsourced this entire topic to the last group of people that we should ever want to outsource this to. <laughs> Can you think of, of a worse group of people to outsource this responsibility to? Last week, we shared an article in Teen Vogue, and I'm going to say this, and just I, I never wanted to talk about this again, but we did last week. Uh, so if you have kids in, the, uh, kids in the car or listening right now, turn the volume down for five seconds. Just warning here, earmuffs warning. Last week, we talked about an article in Teen Vogue about anal sex and how it feels great, and everybody's doing it. Teen Vogue. And then when there was some pushback on that, the editor of Teen Vogue, the digital editor, tweeted a picture of him kissing a guy, flicking off the camera, with a rainbow painted on his middle fingernail. These people don't care about your kids. They don't care about your kids. These are the same people who are making this sex ed curriculum. They don't care about your kids. And then you got the five knuckleheads on the school board, which is totally clueless. But it's our, as parents, it's our fear or our you know, uh, awkwardness of not wanting to talk to our kids about this. We outsource it to these activists. It's a mix between activists and people who have no idea what they're talking about. Right? So it's people who are giving your kids wrong information and people who just have no clue what the heck's going on. How much sense does that make? Why do we do that? So in San Diego, they had a uh, school board meeting and someone got up and said, this information, it's too much too soon. And then the next person got up in front of the school board and said, it's not enough or soon enough. And it's like, why are we leaving any of this information, any of this, these questions up to democracy, first of all, the majority, and then leaving it up to the school board to decide it's crazy to me. Our fear of not wanting to talk to our kids about this, right? We, we, we lie to ourselves, right? We don't want to do it. So we, we don't want to do it because it's awkward. So to get out of having to do it, we lie to ourselves and we say, oh, well, smarter people will do it instead. Smarter people will do it for us. Smarter people who know what they're talking about and who will do a better job than me will talk to my kids about this so I don't have to. No, 
That's a lie. If you don't, worse people will. And they will tell your kids things that are not true. So the idea of sex ed in schools only makes sense because parents have outsourced it to the school, which in a rational world makes zero sense. But anyway, let me talk about the uh, choosing part. Again, you can't choose it or change it. It's not true. We talked about the changing and it's not true about the choosing either. Um, Two points here. There was a book written in 1989 called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. It was written by two guys, uh, two Harvard grads. One uh, is a a neuropsychologist, neuropsychiatrist. And the other has a doctorate in politics from Harvard, and he's an expert in public persuasion and marketing. So two smart guys. They had a five-step plan. Again, this is 1989. They had a five-step plan to get people to accept homosexuality. One of them was to don't, don't use that word. Use the word gay instead and make it about rights, hence the gay rights movement. But let me, um, let me quote from the book. One of their tactics was to tell everyone that we are born this way, that gay people are born this way. All right, so here's the quote. We argue that, for all practical purposes, gays should be considered to have been born gay, even though sexual orientation for most humans seems to be the product of a complex interaction between innate predispositions and environmental factors during childhood and early adolescence. Alas, to suggest in public that homosexuality might be chosen is to open the can of worms labeled moral choices and sin and give the religious intransigence a stick to beat us with. Straits must be taught that it is as natural for some persons to be homosexual as it is for others to be heterosexual. Wickedness and seduction have nothing to do with it. So there you go. So there's two guys, 1989, saying, well, how are we going to get people to get over this whole gay thing? How are we going to you know, force this on everyone? Um, and there you have it. Say, born this way. And there you have sex ed videos. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Born this way. Can't change it. Can't choose it. Can't change it. Meanwhile, three professors, doctors, uh, compiled 200 studies. This is just about a year ago. Compiled over 200 studies from different fields. Endocrinology, which is study of hormones. Psychiatry, neuroscience, the brain. Embryology, pediatrics, genetics. All these different fields. 200 studies. And their conclusion was, quote, the belief that sexual orientation is an innate, so you're born this way, innate, biologically fixed human property that people are born that way is not supported by scientific evidence. Not supported by scientific evidence. Now, this obviously requires a much larger discussion, but just know as you're getting this born this way, pounded in your face by Lady Gaga and the rest of society, there's much more science that proves it's not true. But your kids are being taught all across the country that it is impossible to change impossible to change and if you feel this way you were born that way all right i got the worst video of all coming up next 1-888-900-3393 slater radio on twitter mike slater show on facebook got a link there to buy my new book too mike slater show spread the word this is mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network
888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on. Slater. Slater, thanks for being here. So, one of the big local stories in San Diego this week was San Diego Unified voting 5 nothing to, that's our school district, voting to have this sex ed curriculum in sixth grade. Uh, you can watch the videos on amaze.org. It's the organization putting this on. It's nationwide. So, probably at your school too. They're very popular. Uh, this was the first video I saw. So we just played from two different videos. This was the very first one I saw. And like I said, I, I wanted to keep an open mind who, I, I mean, I, I couldn't come to an opinion on it until I watched it and saw what they were doing. So this was the first video I saw. And this is the very first 10 seconds of any video I saw. This is a video, uh, about pornography. Here's, here's the beginning. Sometimes when you are on the internet, you might accidentally or intentionally end up on a website that features pornography, sometimes called porn. Being curious about sex and looking at pictures or films of naked bodies or people engaging in sexual behaviors is perfectly normal. Stop. So it was the first 10 seconds of anything I saw. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, being curious about sex, looking at pictures or films of naked bodies or videos of people engaging in sexual behaviors, perfectly normal. So normal and prevalent are different things. Prevalent does not mean normal. Normal does not mean good. No doubt it's prevalent and it's getting younger and younger. The average age of someone seeing their first pornographic image is 11. Check out this fact among kids under 18. So I'm just kids under 18. Those under the age of 10 are 22% of online porn consumption under 10. So it's prevalent. That doesn't mean it's normal and it certainly doesn't mean it's good, but that's the foundational beginning of this video. Now I want to play the rest of the video. It's only a minute long here um, because I, I think the rest of it does an okay job. And I want to, like I said, I want to be fair here and I want to play the rest because I think they do okay from that point forward. But with that opening, I don't think it's the proper context. And I don't know why you would have that opening if you then also don't come to the conclusion that you must logically then come to. I'll break it down here. Here's the rest of it. But you have to remember that porn contains some misleading messages like bigger is better when it comes to breasts. Penises, or the duration of sex. Pornography often shows women as only existing to give men pleasure. Lastly, porn might make you think that being sexual with another person has nothing to do with having an intimate, trustful, or respectful relationship. Pornography can also contain violent images or strange-looking behavior that may be scary or disturbing. Don't forget, Porn is like many movies. It's completely made up. A fantasy that could never exist in real life and does not show realistic, healthy, intimate, or loving sexual relationships between two equal partners. I wonder how long the longest We're cucumber... There. So, so that's, that's not terrible, right? It talks about how porn sends misleading messages, damages intimacy, trust, respect. It's a fantasy. Like That's all good. But why start it off with saying watching porn is normal? And then talk about all these problems with it. A sixth grader who's watching this video probably doesn't understand the problems 
with a loss of intimacy and trust in their future marriage. They're in sixth grade. So that part of the story doesn't really make sense to them, but they will definitely walk away with the opening sentence of watching porn is normal, especially because the rest of society is telling them that too. So that part's right now. It is normal. The rest of it is all very future-based. Oh, it will affect my marriage? Like, sixth grader? So I think a more thoughtful video would have taught, and a more accurate one, would have talked about what porn literally does to your brain. There is a ton of secular, and I want to be be very upfront. I'm not, I have no intention. I will not mention the Bible. I'm not talking about sin. Like, none of that. I'm I'm not even there. That doesn't even, doesn't even come into play with this analysis. There is a ton of secular research and a massive anti-porn movement going on in the secular world, led by former porn stars. James Dean is the top male porn star. He is talking about the damaging effects of porn in people's lives and how it's hurting actual intimacy and relationships with people. So this has nothing to do with being a Bible-thumping brood. So I want to talk about neuroplasticity, which obviously is why you tuned in today, right? I mean, everyone... So I bet Slider's talking about neuroplasticity today. I'm going to, so neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections over time. So if there's a damage to a part of your brain, then the other parts of your brain can pick up the slack and make new neural pathways. Pretty cool. Brain's awesome. So keep that in mind. Your brain forms channels it forms uh it builds a dirt road and then it builds a paved road and then a four-lane paved road and then an eight-lane highway and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger these neural pathways if that highway gets destroyed then you can build a new dirt road and then paved road etc etc so keep that in mind and then we got to talk about dopamine dopamine is the reward hormone so this is released in your body naturally when you accomplish something. When you, it's really when you accomplish something uh, life-affirming. So when you eat food, dopamine is released. It feels good. Feels good. Dopamine feels good. So it tells your body, do more of this because eating helps you live. Right? Same thing with having sex. That dopamine is released. It says, ooh, that feels good. You should do more of that because that sustains future life, right? Dopamine, it feels good. It tells your body to do it again. Now this over time rewires your brain. There's a ton of research on this. So with more porn, the more you watch, the more dopamine gets released and the more that that pathway is reinforced and eventually over and over and over again, over years, you don't desire it. You require it. This loop, it goes on and on and on for years. And like any drug, your tolerance goes up. Your tolerance goes up. So you require it more often and more hardcore. And the damaging effect is that reality becomes boring. It's, this is why meth addicts can't just stop. It's the same thing. Reality becomes boring and that destroys relationships and marriages. And it sends, so it does horrible things to guys in particular who are mostly watching, but it is a horrible thing to girls because it tells girls that if you want to be worthy of love, then you have to be worthy of someone's sexual desire. And today, the way to be desired sexually is to be like a porn star. This is why there's so much sexting going on, taking pictures and sending it around. That's why there's so much of that in high schools and stuff. 
and you watch any pop star today, they're just porn stars. They got a few more clothes on, but they're just jumping around like on a stripper stage. No different. And the fact that it's everywhere shoot, proves how desensitized to it we've become as a society, which is part of it, right? You become more desensitized to it over time and time and time. Then on top of that, it's uh, violent. Porn is entirely about male domination. Women are abused violently, and obviously that's dangerous for kids to see. And I even, even talked about the women in porn. There's a Netflix documentary called Hot Girls Wanted, and it's about these girls all across the country who are lured into the industry with these grand promises. And these girls, will they'll go on some website or something, and some guy will reach out to them and say, oh, you should come to Florida, fly out, 18 years old, to fly out and live in these houses. And they are raped and abused and tortured and horrible things. And then they're thrown out onto the streets after their 15 minutes is up. So porn is great and totally normal other than you're damaging yourself, your spouse, your relationships, and you're hurting other people. Other than that's great. So when you, like, that, like the video doesn't talk about that. But now again, to go be fair, because it did talk about some things that were bad about porn, which is good, but then why, why start off with it's normal? Why not say it's objectively bad. No, no, I'm not saying it's sinful. I mean, I am saying that, but that, right here, I'm not, I'm not saying this video needs to say it's sinful. I'm not saying that, that these videos need to say, Jesus wouldn't want you to, or the Bible says you shouldn't. Like, that's not my argument here. My argument here is it's bad for you. It's bad for your brain. It's bad for girls. It's bad for women. It's bad for your marriage. It's bad for the people in the porn bad just objectively bad but we can't say that so instead this video has to say it's normal it's not and actually it's worse than that it's you know i want to come back i want to share my favorite imagery of of anything it's my favorite metaphor maybe ever made c.s lewis made it and it's about this topic um i want to share it next and and show that watching porn it's 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 not normal it's odd Again, it's prevalent. No doubt it's prevalent. But it's not normal. It's actually really odd. If you can step away and look at it and like look at the whole thing, the whole picture for a second, with a clear mind, you look at it and you say, oh, that's, that's pretty weird. And that's what C.S. Lewis's argument was 70 years ago. Uh, I think it's still true today. I want to share that next. one 888 Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. So C.S. Lewis had a great point about this. He said, if you, you know, here, here in America, in the West today, modern society, you get a bunch of people together and they go and they watch a stripper. And that behavior, that act is normal to us. But imagine if we went to a country that filled a whole theater, whole room with guys 
and they brought out on stage uh, a, a covered plate, right? So it was a plate with a like the silver dome on top of it, right? And they bring it out on the stage, and they slowly lift the cover. And everyone in the everyone, all the guys are they're going crazy. And they they pull off the cover, and there's a a ribeye steak. It's a juicy ribeye steak right there. And all the guys and the oh they're they're wild animals. They've lost themselves. It's like they're drugged out. And then they put the cover back on and they move the ribeye off the stage and you don't see it anymore. And oh if you saw that, you'd think, what the heck is wrong with these people? Actually, your first thought would be that these people must be starving to death. Right? They're starving. They're lusting after that, that steak like that. They, they must be starving. They, must have, they, they haven't eaten in weeks. So that's your, that's your thesis. Now you got to go prove it or see, get some evidence of that. But you walk outside the theater and you see that people aren't starving to death. They're not starving to death at all. In fact, there's plenty of food everywhere. And then you realize hmm, starving men think an awful lot about food. But so do gluttons. People who are really hungry think about food all the time, and people who are gorged on food think about food all the time. It's the same with sex. It's everywhere around us. And the way we react to it, you'd think there's no sexuality anywhere ever. But it's the opposite. The way we're obsessed with it and with porn, it's, I mean, it's number one thing searched always on the internet and uh, Japan, China coming out with these sex robots. You combine that with VR, will totally destroy uh, virtual reality. That will totally destroy real human relationships. I mean, just like porn destroys relationships today, but this is just going to increase by a thousand. But but all the stuff you'd think we are sex starved. We're not sex starved. We're sex gorged. It's all over the place. Last week, my wife and I we watched the movie Lion. It was really good. We liked it. Um, and the main guy in the movie and his girlfriend for no reason, they were uh, in two different scenes. They were naked in their, in the bed together. And I just, I noticed it because I was like, well, the, the zero to do with the story at all in any, in any way. And then it turns out they didn't kiss in the whole movie. The, the, the guy and the girl, they didn't kiss. Why? So lions about a guy from India. So it's an Indian movie. It's American, but it's about India. And they didn't have them kiss because in Bollywood, Indian movies, up until the 90s, they never showed men and women kissing in movies. They would always find a way to get around it. And they'd have these scenes where the, the man would go in for the kiss and would go in super slowly. And the music's playing and the audience is going crazy because it's exciting. Is he going? Is he not? It's, oh, and then they cut away at the last. Like, oh. Today, it's just the scene. Just, they have sex and it's just boring. It's lame. It's like. But still, in Indian movies, they don't like to show people kissing so they don't show them kissing but then they showed them naked in the bed under the cover i mean under the covers they were naked so they didn't show them naked but they were naked under the cover and it's like why 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 do that i don't it's just everywhere it's everywhere nonstop. so anyway i bring that up just because in these sex ed classes sixth graders that video again on pornography starts off saying it's normal well it's prevalent but it's not normal it's no more normal than if someone brought a ribeye out and a group of people just go nuts for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's like, well, that's not, it's a little odd. And also when you, when you say that porn is normal behavior, that suggests that any sexual act, which you're tempted in the moment is normal and healthy. 
just because you desire it, it is normal and healthy. That can't be true. I just have a feeling that if we surrendered to all of our desires all the time, there'd be a lot more lying and cheating and stealing and jealousy and all these other bad things. Just because it's prevalent doesn't mean it's normal. And just because it's prevalent well, certainly doesn't mean it's good. Amaze.org. You can watch these videos yourself and make sure your kid's school district. Or at least be aware if your kids are seeing these too. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Hope you're having a good weekend. So the audio book is up of my new book. The book's called How to Change Someone's Mind. Pretty self-explanatory topic. Um, we got the ebook. You can read it right now. Got the paperback. You can get it tomorrow. And now we have the audiobook. And you can listen to that right now. And the audiobook's actually already outsold the paperback. So either one, whichever you want, you can listen to the audiobook on audible.com, on Amazon, or on iTunes. Please uh, download that now. And I think you'll enjoy it. And we're getting really good reviews fired up by people who uh, are looking forward to use these techniques, use this insight. Um, and I'm excited to hear some success stories. So please be a part of that. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. You can search for Mike Slater in, uh, in Amazon or, again, the book title, How to Change Someone's Mind. Uh, did you hear the story the other day of the guy who was drowning in a pond and five teenagers were standing on the edge of the pond, not only not helping him, but watching him drown, laughing at filming him drowning and mocking him as he was dying. I'm sure you heard that story out of Florida. Now, it's even worse than I thought for two reasons. The body of the man who drowned wasn't found until five days later. So these kids who were ranging from 14 to 18, they didn't even call the police ever. Right? It, it's, it, it would be one thing if they watched the guy die and then afterwards was like, oh, hey, by the way, they didn't even do that. They just went home. Now, I think even worse than that is that in the meantime, in those five days, they shared this video of the guy drowning with friends and family, and none of them thought to tell the police about it. So it wasn't just the people who were there, but even the people who saw the video of these kids there did not tell anyone about it. That right there, like everything I just said right there is culture. All of that is culture. And that's what I want to talk about here. Uh, this is a minute, 22 seconds. I want to play uh, a part of the video here just so you can get a sense of of, uh, of what we're talking about if you haven't seen it yet. We took out all the swear words. We did the best we can. I hope one didn't sneak in there, but just be aware. Um, and this is the kids, um, these 14 to 18-year-olds watching a, a man die. Here it is. Yeah, he just got in. I started swimming. Jockey. Get out of the water, you gon' die! Look at that gator coming towards you, man! Buddy, we not finna help y'all. You finna die! Bro, drowning, what the heck? <laughs> hey, 
Ain't nobody finna help you, you dumb. Shouldn't have got in there. Yeah, buddy. Buddy off that 40. Hell yeah, Brian, he knocked the 40. Yeah, where he at? Hey, buddy off that 85. <laughs> what made him get. Buddy got in with all his clothes on. He keep putting his head under, buddy. Wow. Should have been like the road. Am I scared? What the? Bro, I'm finna, bro, something killing him, bro. Like, we finna, like, if y'all finna stick right here and still, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, loud. Bro, are you scared to see a dead person? Hell no, nah, I ain't scared to see no dead person. Y'all don't understand. Rabbit, get in now. Oh, God. He just died. Holy shit. That's pretty horrifying, right? Um, these teenagers, 14 to 18, they're not going to be charged because there's no, with anything, because there's no law in Florida that says you have to help someone. There's no good Samaritan law in Florida. So they did nothing illegal by not helping. And we can talk if you want about good Samaritan laws. Like I, I, I think it's sad that we live in a society where we would need to pass such laws. You have to help someone, right? That's, it's a sign that we've uh, we're not in the right place. So what's going on here? A couple different things. Uh, it's well, it's all culture. Everything is under the umbrella of culture here. So first, you have the culture of death. Uh, these kids don't think their life is worth living. So and and they they're surrounded by death all the time. So watching someone else die, there's no there's no connection to that whatsoever. Uh, a police officer who questioned these kids said there was no remorse. Even after the fact, no remorse. That's amazing. I, I could almost hear the argument that. These kids got caught up in a you know, a group gang mob mentality of, of carelessness. And we've talked about this before when it comes to rioting. Very few people by themselves would take a, a brick and throw it through a window. But when you have 100 people, then via anonymity, you think you, you know, you're more likely to do things that you wouldn't do by yourself, right? So I could hear that argument maybe here. And maybe each of them deep down wanted to help. But they thought that the cool thing to do was not to help. So none of them did, right? That's not the case. <laughs> because if that was the case, then after they got caught or the video was bad, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do anything. Oh, it's unbelievable. I'm the worst. No, no remorse. None of them deep down even wanted to help. That shows how deep this culture is. So Theodore Dalrymple, his book, Life at the Bottom, please read it. It's excellent. He is a psychiatrist in prisons and hospitals in the poorest parts of England. And he told the story in this book about how one month, five people were, were shot dead. And he met the killers in the prison. And they were three black males in their early 20s. And this is what he says. He says, quote, to whom killing was no more problematic morally than making a telephone call. Just didn't even, there was no, and this is so hard for us to wrap our heads around, right? How can these people live in a culture where making a telephone call and killing someone are the same men who, when I spoke to them were so convinced of the gross injustice of the world that they were convinced also that nothing they did themselves could add significantly to its sum. So think about that killing people, zero, zero effect on you at all. Imagine how dead on the inside, how dead your soul needs to be to, to think like that or not to think like that. But if you were raised in an age of moral relativism where there's no such thing as truth, where there's no such thing as right and wrong, 
And if you grow up in a culture of death everywhere around you, then your killing someone doesn't add to the pile of evil that's in front of you. It's just another day. All right, you wouldn't throw a, a piece of trash in a perfectly pristine park. You wouldn't take your hamburger wrapper and throw it on, on, on a, in a park. But if you were standing in the middle of a dump, you would. Throw it right on the ground. You wouldn't even think twice about it. That's how these kids feel. There's so much death. There's so much immorality. There's, there's no even concept of immorality, right? It's just, it's just death and darkness all around them. It's just, what's, another, what's another person dying? I don't care if I die. I have no hope. I have no purpose, no drive, no mission in my life. So why would I want to help this person save their life? It's all, it's all meaningless. This is the progressive ideology at work. This is what happens when there's no such thing as truth. Dalrymple said, I recalled the faces of the young men in prison now accused of murder, their hard expressionless eyes, young men who recognize no law, but their own desire of the moment. Think about that. No law, but for the desire of the moment in a world, because I know when I just said, this is the progressive culture at work. That maybe sounds a little harsh. Um, and maybe I should define that a little better. I'm not talking about Nancy Pelosi necessarily. I'm not necessarily talking about political progressivism uh, as much as cultural progressivism. In a world where there's no right and wrong, in a world where there is no future, a world of hopelessness, then the moment and the desires of the moment is all that matters. And this is what happens when you take right and wrong out of a society, when you take truth out. Because now these kids have no standard. They have no standard. They have nothing to achieve, nothing to aspire to, nothing to aim for. It's all about the whims of the moment. There's not even, and this is a different conversation, but there's not even a past to connect to, right? Because everything in the past is just are injustices that lead up to your victim mentality. There's certainly nothing in the future because you have no hope because you're a victim. You are just to live in the present, but even the present is unjust for a million reasons. So when you're living in that life, what is the point? Life means nothing. When progressives, cultural progressives have destroyed the past, they've destroyed the future, they've left it completely up to the whims of the present, you get stuff like this, and it is soulless. Let me, uh, let me end with this quote. So Theodore Dalrymple he compares the mindset of these murderers and I would put these kids in Florida. I don't know if I'd call them murderers, but I put them in the same category, you know, when it comes to soullessness. So he compares these people to people who, uh, in the same area he lives in or works in, uh, who go to a church, which is the church is completely dying in, in Europe. Uh, and of course, England. And he said in the church, quote, it was the failure of sinners to acknowledge any moral authority higher than their own personal whims. And in asserting this, the congregation was asserting its own freedom and dignity. Poor and desperate as its members might be, they were still human enough to decide for themselves between right and wrong and then offered hope to others too. For if a man chose to do evil, he could later elect by an act of will to do good, 
No one had to wait until there was perfect justice in the world. All the circumstances were, circumstances were right right now to do good, to choose to do good. That's what church brings. These kids growing up in a culture of death, lawlessness, desperation, hopelessness, they feel like they don't have choices. So kill someone? Sure, whatever. Why not? Who cares? Watch someone drown? Yeah. Whatever. one 933 Um, All right, so that's like a cultural progressivism. I want to come back with a political progressivism, uh, which is just as soulless, or at the very least, uh, not helpful. I'll prove that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. Slater Cassetti. So this is a story about a, a progressive's desire for the quick fix. Always looking for the quick fix. Hacking at the branches, as we say. Hacking at the branches instead of striking the root. So there was a movement a couple years ago called Ban the Box. Uh, it's now come to California. That's why it's, it's back on my radar. But you may live in a state or city that, that has this right now. Um, So the idea is when someone applies for a job, the application asks if you've ever been convicted of a felony. Mark the box yes or the box no. So as of now, an employer can't ask someone their criminal history. They banned the box. You, you can't ask someone their criminal history until after a conditional offer for the job has been made. Then you can run a background check. And you can take away the offer if you want at that point. But the idea is that uh, employers were throwing away the applications from felons before they met them face-to-face. So if we ban the box, then that person may get an interview. And then once they have an interview and they build some rapport with the employer, then the employer will realize that they're not a bad person after all. And then run a background check. But sure, they're a former felon. But gosh, I really liked them and I'll hire them anyway. That's the idea. So this has been going on for a couple of years in different places across the country uh, and everywhere it's been tried, it's been a terrible failure, which is no surprise that California then picks it up and runs with it. <laughs> California is the king of bad ideas. Usually we, we, we come up with the bad ideas, but if we don't come up with them, then we will implement them as quickly as possible. Even after it's obvious that it's a bad idea, but we're the king of bad ideas. So we have to have them all. Um, so all the research on this so far shows that this doesn't help employers with a criminal criminal record. It actually hurts those applicants and other people as well. Why doesn't it work? Because it sounds good, right? Sounds good. Sounds like it should work. It doesn't work because if an employer is hiring someone and they don't want to hire someone with a criminal record, they're not just going to give up and hire people at random. If they're not allowed, 
which the state now says they're not. So if they're not allowed to find out for sure who has a criminal record, they're going to guess who might have a criminal record. And do you know who statistically has a higher chance of having a criminal record? Demarius. Marquise. Jaquan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just statistically that person has a higher chance of having a criminal record. Half of black men are arrested on non-traffic related crimes by the age of 23. Let me say it again. Half of black men are arrested on non-traffic related crimes by the age of 23. Half. You with me? So if your name is Jamarius and you're 20 years old and you want a job and you have no criminal record, as of last month, you could mark on your application, not a felon. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? No. Now, that's not allowed to even be asked. So the employer looks at your name, Jamarius, hmm, statistically probably has a criminal record. Now that's about 50% of black people nationwide, right? You're in an inner city. It's going to be even higher than that. So that employer is going to think that that person probably has a criminal record. They might be right, but they could be wrong. Either way, that person is not going to get a second look. So this law, it hurts people who statistically are more likely to have a criminal record, but don't. And it puts the person who doesn't have a criminal record on the same bad footing as someone who did commit a crime. Do you see how that works? So instead of what the, what the people, the progressives who pushed this, what they thought it would do is it would put everyone who did commit a crime on the same level of those who didn't. It would lift up those who did commit a crime and put them on the level, a higher level of those who didn't commit a crime. But what it really did is it, it took those who are statistically likely to have committed a crime and put them down on the level of those who haven't committed a crime, hurting all those people. So the latest study of this, and there's been a bunch, but the latest study uh, in a band, the box city says that it reduced employment for young black men by 5%. So great job guys. So what's the solution instead? What we need to do is to, to take people with a criminal record and help them get back into proper society. There's a thing in Tennessee, and there's many ways to do this, but there's a thing in Tennessee called a certificate of employability. So it's a court-issued certificate that you can earn only once you've proven you've been rehabilitated, you need a character witness, and you need to prove that you've done some job training and some other things like that. And then a judge can grant you a certificate, which if the state keeps this program authentic and they don't just hand these things out like candy, could persuade an employer. An employer, and this is important, with all the information in front of them, it could persuade an employer to give that person a second chance. But it's with more information in front of them, not with less. It's not, it's not hiding information from an employer. It's giving them all the information. Yes, I committed a felony. Here's what I did. I served my time. And here's my certificate of employability that I earned by doing all these things. Also, there's a bunch of programs uh, across the country. I know there's one in San Diego called Kitchens for Good. I went to a, a gathering the other day, actually, um, and it was catered by Kitchens for Good. I had no idea. It was amazing. It was so good. So the deal is um, Kitchens for Good takes people who got out of prison and teaches them uh, cooking. And also they have a catering branch, and then they put them in job placement afterwards uh, if you would like that. So I went up for my third helping and I saw a Kitchens for Good sign. And I looked up at the three people behind the, the table serving the food. 
and I've already looked at them twice. Amanda was one of the one of the women I was talking with. And after I saw the kitchens for good sign, I looked up and, and for the first time I saw all the tattoos up and down Amanda's arm. I didn't see him the first two times we talked. She went to prison for a couple of years, but then she got out, went through this program, and now she's in a leadership position in this catering company. Amazing. Full redemption. It's beautiful. Ban the box is another surface level, feel good, white liberal policy. And as with almost all those, not only does it not help the people, but hurts the people it's supposed to help. As opposed to true conservative policies. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Just talked about progressive policy. Before that, we talked about progressive culture. I want to get back to that with this story here. This is a headline. First picture of teenager murdered in suspected honor killing. Uh, I want to quote Theodore Dalrymple again. This book is Life at the Bottom. Great book. Please read it. I'm going to read much more from him. I've been reading his articles for a long time, and I figured I should pick up one of his books. Uh, And I did. So good. He said, as a doctor working in a slum area with many immigrant residents, I see multiculturalism from the ground up rather than from theory down. And does that make sense? So so academics, they're the ones who, they they see multiculturalism from the top down. Again, the trickle-down culture. We talked about that in the start of the show when we played some sex ed videos that are being shown to sixth graders. And I remember 10 years ago, I was in college when I first heard about gender fluidity or whatever, gender spectrum. Uh, And here now it's already trickling down to sixth grade and below, right? So it's set by people up top, trickles down. But anyway, this Dr. Dalrymple, he says, I see it from the ground up. And it is clear from what I see almost every day that not all cultures, not all cultural values are comparable or can be reconciled by the enunciation of platitudes. The idea that we can all rub along together without the law having to discriminate in favor of one set of cultural values rather than than another is worse than merely false. It makes no sense whatsoever. And he goes on, he shares a few stories of his experience, what he's seen. I want to share a few of them. He tells the story of a 16-year-old girl who was brought to him for wetting the bed. He finally got to talk to her alone without her dad in the room. Uh, she comes from a wealthy family. This girl is really smart and, and really depressed. And she was depressed because her dad decided that she was going to marry her cousin at the end of the month. She wanted to keep going to school and she had career aspirations, but she instead was told that she had to marry her cousin and essentially become a domestic slave for his family. That's how it works where this from family is from in Pakistan. Now they're living in England now, but Back in Pakistan, that's the culture. Arranged marriage, girl given to the other family. So you hear that story and you're like, okay, that's terrible, but it's a one-time thing, right? Doesn't happen a lot. There is a special unit for the lo- in, in the local police department. There's a special unit dedicated to rescuing girls from the homes that they're being held in against their will. 
That's how prevalent this is. That's how prevalent this arranged marriage slash slavery is. There's a special unit of the police department dedicated to it. And because women are less than and honor of the family is of a higher value. And I just want to stress again, this is why culture matters. And it's funny because people who talk about multiculturalism and, and put that on a pedestal, they don't know anything about other cultures. <laughs> That's just a, a way to, to, to badmouth our culture, but they don't know anything about other cultures because they would know about this culture then. So women are valued as less than family honor is of greater value. So because of that, leaving a husband is forbidden one of his patients was beaten every day by her arranged marriage husband. He would lock her up, burn her with a cigarette lighters, the whole thing. She eventually ran away, went to her mom. Her, her mom. Her mom said she had to return to this abusive husband right away in order to preserve the good name of the family because this girl had two sisters. And the mom knew that her sisters would be unmarriageable if those in her community knew what their girls were capable of. Does that make sense? So this mom had three daughters. If one of the daughters left her husband, then the other two would never get married. And the mom said that if you don't go back to him, then I'm going to commit suicide. That night, the girl committed suicide. Another story. We've got a 15-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy, brother-sister. Their whole life they grew up thinking they were brother-sister. turns out they were cousins. And she was told that they were going to get married. She said that she would not marry her cousin who she thought her whole life was her brother. And the dad beat her back black and blue, fracturing the bones in her face. And the dad threatened that if you don't marry this person that you've always thought was your brother, then I will divorce your mom and throw her out on the street. Then to be sure that the marriage was consummated, they locked them in a room together with a tape recorder. When they did not have sex, she was again beaten within an inch of her life. Then she got pregnant. So honor killings and things up to honor killings, like what I just shared with you, are regular occurrences. And in the community, they are seen as no problem. This is why culture matters. Um, this ties into the story we shared at the top of the hour about the four, four, four teen five teenagers from 14 to 18 in Florida who filmed the man drowning. The craziest thing about that to me is that they went on and showed people that video and no one called the cops. It wasn't until five days later when they found the body. No one was looking for the body. Just someone stumbled across the body five days later. So for five days, these kids were showing this video to people and no one thought to, to say anything about it. So it's the fact that bad behavior, broken, horrible behavior is allowed, almost encouraged even within the community. That's culture. Last story. Sikh girl and a Muslim boy. The family of the girl saw her with the boy. Her brother got some friends together, Sikh boys, got a baseball bat, 
even though no one in England plays baseball, they still have baseball bats there, but it's for beating people, uh, took a bat and beat her up to get the truth whether or not they were really together. Then they went and hacked him near to death with a machete. They were then caught. They got bail. And then they fled. They went into hiding. They threatened the Muslim boy every single day saying, we're looking for you and we're going to go kill you. Now, the point of this story is the three brothers who did this, the three boys who were doing this, they were not regarded as delinquents or outcasts in their community or people we need to call out or stop or find or hand over to the police or anything. This was welcomed. It was thought of as decent and an honorable behavior. Culture. So to go back to multiculturalism, you have this theory professed by white liberals in universities, and it sounds great, but they don't live it. They don't live it. They want more of these cultures here in America because to them or what they preach, all the cultures are great except for ours, but they don't feel the consequences of these other cultures. Now, of course, not all people from other cultures are like this and not all people from our culture are great, obviously. But this is the importance of having an ideal. And when we live in a society where there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as right and wrong, there's no such thing as the ideal, right? No, this is why it's important to have an ideal. This is why it's important to have standards and judgment and decency and truth and right and wrong so that everybody has a goal to achieve. So if you're native born, you have a goal to achieve. This is who we are as Americans. Or if you're assimilating here as an immigrant, this is the goal to achieve if you want to become an American. So just like ISIS fills a political vacuum in the Middle East, evil fills cultural vacuums. And progressives have created a cultural vacuum in America. And you're going to get a lot more of this. 1-888-900-3393, one 900 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. So you know John Lennon's dream has come true. Right, just look at the lyrics of, uh, of Imagine. Right, every single one of them nailed it. Imagine there's no heaven. Jack. Right, no religion. Uh, imagine there are no countries. Right, no borders. Borderless world. The EU, the European Union, is just this post-nationalist state. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion. Check, 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 check. <laughs> Got them all. And we just hate ourselves. It's the weirdest thing how, how we are told we have to hate ourselves. Let me give you a quick example, and then I want to tie this into something else if we have time. Um, the conquistadors. Let's go before the conquistadors. White man, white imperialism. Because that's what we hear. It's white colonialism and imperialism. It's the thing that ruined blah, 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 blah. Uh, 732. 732, the Muslims took over Spain 
and they were advancing through up to the southern part of France. They were within 200 miles of Paris. Fortunately, and as much as we brotherly mock the French military, uh, fortunately in 732 there was a, excuse me, not 732, um, 1492, there was a great victory. The French stood up and said no, and they fought back the Muslims. There were the Moors. That was the group of Muslims, the Moors. Uh, you may remember them from the Bubble Boy episode of Seinfeld when George calls them the Moops, or when the Bubble Boy calls it the Moops. And he's like, no, no, the Bubble Boy calls them the Moors, and then George says, no, I'm sorry, it's the Moops. And then the Bubble Boy gets upset because it's the Moors, and he pops the bubble in. Uh, so the Muslims evaded in 732. They worked all the way up to France until 1492. Um and that is when the Spanish king, King Ferdinand V, kicked the Muslims out for good. Also happens to be the year that Ferdinand gave Columbus money to sail the ocean blue, 1492. So two points here. First, the kicking of the Muslims out. It's called the Reconquista. The Reconquista, because the land was Christian. Then the Muslims conquistad it. And then the Spanish came back and reconquistad it. But for some reason, it's only the Westerners who are vilified in this back and forth. And then you have Columbus, who again sailed the ocean blue. He and other people like him are characterized as conquistadors, as if that was something new. That's the problem with calling them conquistadors. It creates this impression that conquering people was a new thing. But for 700 years prior to Columbus sailing the ocean blue, the Muslims conquistad Spain. There's nothing new about it. There's nothing Western about it. There's nothing white about it. And this ties into what we talked about a lot the last couple weeks about how Egypt and North Africa, these used to be Christian places. Middle East used to be Christian. Anyway, second point. Uh, this is why the left has embraced environmentalism. Have we, have we explained this before? I don't know if I have, if, if I have, excuse me, but let, let me try again. Cause it's a bit complicated, but I don't think that bad. Um, if we were a traditional superpower in America, if America was a traditional superpower that the world has always seen, then we would be looking for countries to invade and take over. And we would be a threat to other countries, but we're not a threat to other countries or people in other countries. So the left, even though we're the big bad boogeyman, they have to make up a threat. They have to make up. We, we have to be a threat to something. If we're not a threat to someone or people somewhere, then we have to be a threat to something. So to them, we're a threat to the planet. That's global warming. It's America being a threat to the planet. And it's even worse than that. It's, we're a threat to the galaxy. I want to quote here. This is Al Gore, 2006. He wrote this out in an essay. I want to be very clear. This was not an off-the-cuff comment. Um, this was a written and edited essay and published essay. He said, we are recklessly dumping so much carbon dioxide into the Earth's atmosphere that we have literally changed the relationship between the Earth and the sun, altering the balance of energy between our planet and the rest of the universe. That's one of my favorite quotes ever. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? So, I mean, do we even need to talk about how absurd that is? I don't, 
I don't think so, right? Like there's no balance of energy graph for the rest of the universe and us from 1850 to today so that we can compare where we are, where the balance of the universe is today versus 18. Like that's absurd. So it's a, but environmentalism is embraced by people mostly by those who have been raised to hate Western civilization and to hate America because we're such evil imperialists, but we're not evil imperialists and they know it. We're not a threat to other countries. So instead they've invented this. Well, we're a threat to the planet. We're a threat to the galaxy. We're a threat to mankind just in general, right? We're not invading other countries, but we're killing all the people. (laughs) See how that's the other way able to do that. And because of that, we have to beat ourselves every single day about how horrible we are. And then other cultures come in and fill the vacuum. 1-888-900-3393. I want to talk about something a little more uplifting, much more uplifting coming up next. Uh, Just another friendly reminder, uh, my new book, How to Change Someone's Mind. It's available on Amazon right now. And we have the audio book, which is available as well on Amazon or Audible or iTunes. So we got the ebook, we got the paperback, we got the audio book. It's all right there for you. Just search for Mike Slater on uh, um, Amazon. Search for how to change someone's mind. It'll pop right up. And I'd love it if you leave a review as well, unless it's a one-star review. You can leave that to yourself. But if it's four or five stars, I'd love to love to see it. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America is the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. I want to uh, change topics here a little more, possibly uh, lighthearted. Um, oh, real quick, my book, uh, How to Change Someone's Mind, you can pick it up on Amazon right now. We have the ebook, so you can read it right now we have the paperback you can get it tomorrow and we have the audiobook which is now up as well and you can listen to that uh, after the show is over um we're going to talk a lot more in the future about ai on this show artificial intelligence uh, i believe the I, I say it like this i say the two most important things in the country are ai and demographics and people i don't i'm not gonna say it like that anymore because people well what about healthcare or whatever what i really mean is that Everything else is dependent on these two things. So when you say, oh, but what about healthcare? Goes back to AI and demographics. What about education? AI and demographics. Like it all goes back to artificial intelligence and demographics. So we've done a lot of demographics the last few weeks. We haven't done much AI. So let's, uh, let's get all on the same page here. Uh, artificial intelligence will, machines, will replace not just lower income jobs, but nearly every job it's it's obvious how computers will replace people who work at fast food restaurants that's already happening that's easy to see my point is that artificial intelligence will replace almost every job and it will be very different from how it's happened in the past i mean 100 years ago 99% of americans were farmers today it's less than 1% but those jobs were replaced with other jobs. 
we're not sure how, no one's sure how this will happen when you have machines doing all the jobs. So what this will lead to are more calls from politicians for a guaranteed minimum income. And it will look something like everyone gets $40,000 a year just for doing nothing. You just get it. Now, we could talk about the economics of why that won't work, because if you do that, then $40,000 will just be the new zero. And there's going to be some major policy questions that are going to happen very fast in this country that no one's prepared to talk about because no one's imagining a world where this is the case. But actually, no, let me say one more thing about this. So this is different than welfare. I want to be clear. So today we got about 10% of able-bodied Americans are not working. You know, the unemployment rate's five, six, seven percent But you add a couple more people who are, you know, it's like the real unemployment rate. Let's say it's 10%. What does this society look like when 90% of able-bodied Americans aren't working and never work? Have never worked. <laughs> this is a total, complete, different, we've never seen anything like No one's ever seen it like this. So the real question is, what are the societal consequences of this? And we're going to go one of two ways. We're going to go maybe where the ancient Greeks thought we would, where if we don't have to work, we would all sit around and contemplate and become philosopher kings. And we'd all sit around and read and think. Or we'll all become like the movie Wall-E, where we just all become fat blobs who don't even make bones anymore because we don't use them because we get moved around in these little pods all the time and just total complete wastes of oxygen. I lean more towards that. And I think it's that way because we've been trained over the years to think that work is bad. We want to avoid work. So we've all, we've completely lost track of all the benefits of work. But the truth is idleness kills manliness. And we could prove that all day long. We will explore that over time. But I think I still need to prove that artificial intelligence is going to completely take over which is difficult to prove because it's beyond our comprehension. We have nothing to compare it to. But let me just scroll through, we'll roll through a couple things here that will completely be altered. My go-to story, which I've shared before, so I'll do this quick, is doctors, radiologists specifically. There was a hospital, I think in Houston, which hired IBM to come in and help their radiologists. And within a couple months, the hospital kicked IBM out because the, the, the computers were doing a better job than the doctors. They saw the writing on the wall. They saw that the computers are ultimately going to take over radiologists' jobs, so they kicked them out. So what's society going to look like when there's no more fast food workers, like lower-income jobs, but also when there's no more doctors? And you're saying, Slater, what are you talking about? No more doctors? Yeah, I'll get to that. Let's start with lawyers. 90% of lawyers' jobs will be replaced by computers. Only specialists will remain in the lawyerly fields. All legal advice will happen online. There's a website right now called Do Not Pay. I think it's Do Not Pay. It started out a couple years ago as a artificial intelligence lawyer that would help you get out of your traffic tickets. So you type in some information and then it would fight your traffic ticket for you. And it worked most of the time. Now they've branched out into over a thousand different legal related things all completely done uh artificial intelligence so give it a couple years 90 percent fewer there'll be 90 percent jobs in the lawyer field will be gone 
Um, Facebook already has software that can recognize human faces faster than humans. Have you noticed that? If you post a picture on Facebook, Facebook tells you who's in the picture before you tell it who's in the picture. Right? You post a picture, it'll be like, oh, would you like to tag Jim? You're like, how the heck did you know that was Jim? Our kids will never own, my kid will never own a car or get a driver's license. I don't think, I don't think anyone will own cars anymore. Um, there's two different questions here. How quickly will self-driving cars come? And then how quickly will they're just, you don't own cars anymore. There's just cars that exist. Like Uber owns them all and you just call one to pick you up and then it automatically takes you to where you're going. Car companies know that they won't exist for long. They will be replaced by the tech companies. So here's the problem. And car companies know this. Car companies are trying to build cars with better computers tech companies are building better computers on wheels and the car companies are terrified of Tesla terrified of them. And I just read this morning that Tesla is coming out now with their $35,000 car. Tesla's still kind of niche right now because their car is $75,000. But when it gets down to $35,000 and then it gets down to $20,000, everyone's going to be driving the Teslas. They are currently level two automated Automation goes from zero to five. Level two says you have to keep your wheel, your hand on the wheel at all times, but the car can drive by itself. Level three, Audi has a level three, which says you don't have to be, you you don't have to be doing anything hands off the wheel and it can drive by itself lower than 37 miles per hour. So once, and that's right now, that's out right now. So once level four cars come around, it's just total game on and they'll be cheaper than cars are right now. People are uh, concerned that automated cars won't be safe. No. They'll be infinitely safer than humans driving. Infinitely safer. I've heard some people say that automated cars won't happen because how will insurance work? There won't be car insurance. It won't look anything like we, ha- like we have it now because there won't be accidents anymore. You're saying, sorry, that's impossible. That's um, Real estate will change. This is good, uh, I think, because uh, with automated cars, you don't have a commute anymore. You don't have a commute. You can live further away because when your car takes you to work, you can be working. You don't have to be paying attention. You could be watching movies. You could be sleeping. It'll just take you there automatically. Now, that's a tricky one because there won't be work anymore. So I don't even know what a commute will look like because you'll have no work to go to. Uh, but alas, here's the, the, um, medicine one. There are already devices that can take your retinas, scan your retina, take a blood sample and you breathe into it. And just that identifies 54 biomarkers that can be used to identify nearly any disease couple of years, everyone will have access to this. So there goes your entire medical establishment. There will be no more doctors. You can get scanned and get your diagnosis right there. There will be no more surgeons that will be done by machines. There will be no more doctors reading scans that will be done by machines. You'll need a person to give you a diagnosis, right? And talk to you face to face and explain things to you. Sure. But no doctors as we know them today. 3D printing is going to be big. Uh, You can already currently 3D print sneakers. I think that's a great example of how something's completely out of my comprehension and our comprehension and human comprehension. What does that even mean? You can 3D print a sneaker. What what are you talking about? 
10 years ago, a 3D printer was $18,000. Today, it's 100 times faster and it's $400. So in 10 years, it went from 18,000 to 400. Give it another 10 years and we will all have one in our home that can print anything. They already have industrial size 3D printers that can print bridges. They have machines that can build homes. No more construction workers. What are you talking about? No more agricultural jobs. This one is 100% guaranteed. This is probably one of the first things that will go if they haven't already. Everything will be done by robots and agricultural um, and agriculture. So they already have the Roomba of tractors. No more plowing fields. Just set your tractor to go. Automatically does it. Piece of cake overnight. No one's going to be doing that. No one is doing that. Um, have you noticed in grocery stores recently, they have a lot of bags or plastic bins of, of spring mix greens, mixed greens. Have you noticed the mini spinach, arugula, stuff like that? There's way more of that in the last few years than ever before. And the reason is because machine, it's really hard to pick. It's really hard to pick mini spinach out of the ground, but machines can do it better. So there's no, there's machines already that can pick strawberries. They can scan the strawberries and see when they're perfectly ripe couple more years, there'll be no food that will be picked by humans. There will be no more humans working on farms. Already they, uh, what, what video did I see? I saw something being harvested. I think something delicate, like a, like a baby spinach or something. And there was a big machine just going down the line and there was one guy walking behind it. I don't even know what, <laughs> like monitoring it or something. That's it. So no more farming jobs. And how does that affect immigration and all these other things? So do you see how the world will completely change? And this is in the next few years. So the big thing to know about computers is the computing power doubles every 18 months. So every 18 months, computing ability doubles and then doubles from that new point and then doubles. So it's an exponential growth. So we have like, we've had slower growth and then bigger, 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 bigger. And then it just explodes. Just read an article this morning about how Facebook turned off one of their new programs because the artificial intelligence was communicating with itself not in English meaning it was programming itself that that happened yesterday so there won't even be programmers anymore I was talking to a friend who said he has a programming friend who knows that AI will take over his job so where you used to say hey you should get out of fast food and you should go into computer programming no the computers will program themselves they will have their own computer programming (laughs) You're saying, Slater, this is, what are you talking about? There's no way. Oh, by the way, I didn't give a year. Uh, so in 10 years, max, self-driving cars will be prevalent. Most people will be driving self-driving cars 10 years, max. No doubt about it. I put any amount of money on that. Already today, there's a grocery store chain in St. Louis that has new machines called Tally that restocks grocery store shelves automatically. So think about this. We live in a, we will live in a world with an auto, automated trucks, which already exists. Remember that about a year ago, Budweiser uh, had a shipment completely from one city to another in an automated truck. So you'll have automated trucks pull up to grocery stores. You will have machines like at Amazon warehouses taking the food out of the back of the trucks automatically. You will have restocking machines that stock the shelves automatically. You will have uh, machines that not even self-checkout machines, we'll just monitor what you take off the shelf and walk out the store with. This is what Amazon already has. 
This is why they bought Whole Foods to bring this into Whole Foods. So the entire grocery shopping experience will be entirely automated. There won't be a single person working at grocery stores. There are currently 3.5 million people in America who work in 40,000 different grocery stores across the country. They will all be out of jobs. Every single person. That's artificial intelligence. That's our future in a couple years. Let you wrap your head around that for a second. What do you think of that? 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Take your phone call. Slater Radio on Twitter. I want to know what you think about that. Do you think that's right? Do you think that will happen? Do you think it won't happen? Do you think it'll ruin everything? Do you think it'll be amazing? I'll tell you one thing that I think will be really interesting about it. We'll do that next. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. later on the blaze radio network so i want to talk about one one way that artificial intelligence will change our society in uh, some drastic ways is housing so san diego has a major housing problem because the weather's really nice here and people want to be here but the people who are already here don't want anyone else here which is super selfish it's a very i got mine no one else can have theirs mentality any housing development that gets proposed here is shot down by the people in the area nearby complaining about traffic and the condition of the neighborhood. And this, you know, when I moved here, it was a small town and now it's a blah, 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 blah. So nothing ever gets built. So the price of housing goes up and that's good for the people who already have a house, right? So it's very, I got mine. You can't have yours. So there's a bunch of local things that are being done to try to fix this and businesses won't move to San Diego because the average house is $600,000 for a dump for a 800 square foot dump. It's insane. Can't, I mean, kids can't live here. College graduates can't live here. It's crazy. So I'll spare you all the, the local details of this, but the only saving grace out of this is self-driving cars. Because when you have self-driving cars and you're not driving to work, the commute is no longer dead time. The commute, you can be working when you're driving to work. You can be sleeping when you're driving to work. You can be video conferencing. You can be watching a movie. You can be doing whatever on your way to work. So a two-hour drive, like a two-hour commute today is crazy. But a two-hour commute with a self-driving car is nothing. You can be working on the way, just like be sitting in the office. So people will live two hours away from downtown or two hours away from the city where obviously there's a lot more land and housing will be a little, a lot more, a lot less expensive. And that won't be a problem like it is today. That won't be a hurdle. It'll be no problem at all. But also more than that, it's funny how we think of things as two hours away, right? So when I say, oh yeah, there's a town two hours away from you, you know what that's like, but that's based off of how fast we can drive today. And it's also based on traffic 
But with self-driving cars, there'll be no more traffic. No traffic and can drive much faster, much closer together and much faster. So what today is two hours away with a self-driving car can only be one hour away. So today, you think of a place that's two hours away from your work. You're like, oh, I would never live there too far. With self-driving car, it won't be. That will be no problem at all. Right now, it's two hours away. With a self-driving car, it'll be one hour away. And the one hour, you can be sleeping or working. So it'll be like nothing. It will totally change everything. Now, as I say all this, and by the way, self-driving cars, I think less than 10 years. Uh, every argument I've heard for why they won't happen in 10 years, I, I don't agree with that. There's no argument that's convinced me that says they won't happen in 10 years. Um, I'd love to hear it though. People say, oh, you know, some people love driving or the independence of it. No, no, the convenience will beat any of that. Oh, how will the government force people to get self-driving cars? The government didn't need to force you to get a cell phone. And the government can track and, and Google knows everything you do because of your cell phone. And it didn't require anyone forcing anyone to get one. So I think in less than 10 years, everyone will be doing this. Everyone will have self prevalent self-driving cars prevalent and will completely change everything. Hmm. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network. of talk radio this is mike slater crusaders i want to talk about healthcare here two and a half hours in talk some politics here uh i want to play a video here of steve jobs this is a video of steve jobs founder of apple of course 22 years ago talking about school choice so i want to play it uh now he's talking about education so we could go down that path but that's too obvious um I want to take the same principles that he talks about here and apply it to healthcare because people think that education and healthcare are the two things that we can't leave up to the free market because they're unique and important. And I say education and healthcare are the two most essential things to have in the free market because they're unique and important. Right? People do that all the time. They'll be like, Oh no, you can't leave healthcare up to the free market. It's too important. Yeah, yeah. That's why it must be in the free market because it's so important. You got it completely backwards. So as you're watching or as you're listening to this, uh, think of the education things, obviously, but we're going to apply it to healthcare, the same big principles to healthcare. So Steve Jobs, 1995. Here it is. I like the people that are teaching my kids to be good enough that they could get a job at the company I work for making $100,000 a year. Well, why should they work at a school for $35,000, $40,000 a year if they could get a job here at $100,000 a year? I think we should basically be hiring them and paying them $100,000 a year, but the problem there, of course, is the unions. 
The unions are the worst thing that ever happened to education. Um, because it's not a meritocracy. It turns into a bureaucracy, which is exactly what's happened. And teachers can't teach, and administrators run the place, and nobody can be fired. It's terrible. And I, I've been very strong believer that what we need to do in education is go to the full voucher system. I know this isn't what you no, care about, but this is what I care about a great deal. What happens when a customer goes away and a monopoly gets control, which is what's happened in our country, is that the service level almost always goes down. I remember seeing a bumper sticker when the telephone company was all one, AT&T, the Bell system. I remember seeing a, a, a bumper sticker with the, the Bell logo on it, and it said, we don't care, we don't have to. <laughs> you know, And that's what a monopoly is. That's what IBM was in their day, and that's certainly what this, the public school system is. They don't have to care. What does the state of California spend per pupil per year in a public school? What they spend per year per pupil is about $4,400. I believe very strongly that if the, the country gave each parent a voucher, a check for $4,400 that they could only spend at any accredited school, that several things would happen. Number one, schools would start marketing themselves like crazy to parents to get students. Secondly, I think you see a lot of new schools starting. I've suggested as an example, if you go to Stanford Business School, they have a public policy track. They could start a school administrator track. So you could get a bunch of people coming out of college, tying up with somebody who just got out of business school. They could be starting their own schools. You could have 25-year-old kids out of college very idealistic, full of energy. Instead of starting a Silicon Valley company, they'd start a school. And I believe they would do far better than many of our public school teachers do. The third thing you'd see is I believe that you would see the quality of schools, again, just like in a competitive market, start to rise. Some schools would go broke. A lot of the public schools would go broke. There's no question about it. It would be rather painful for the first several years. And, but I think far less painful than the kids going through the system as it is right now. And some people, the biggest complaint is, of course, that schools would pick off all the good kids and all the bad kids would be left to wallow together in either a, you know, a, a, a private school or the rem remnants of the public school. To me, that's like saying, well, all the car manufacturers are going to make BMWs and Mercedeses and nobody's going to make a $10,000 car. Well... I think the most hotly competitive market right now is the $10,000 car area. You've got you know, all the Japanese playing in it. You've got General Motors that spent $5 billion subsidizing Saturn so far so that they can compete in that market. You've got Ford, which has just introduced two new cars in that market. You've got Chrysler with the Neon. The, the market competition model seems to indicate that where there is a need, there is a lot of providers willing to tailor their products to fit that need and a lot of competition, which keeps forcing them to get better and better. Perfect. Okay. So the education stuff on that's easy, right? That's easy to understand. Um, so let's go through the same principles and apply it to healthcare. First thing he said, three things would happen, right? The first thing is schools would start marketing themselves like crazy. If you put schools into the free market, they would start marketing themselves like crazy. Why don't doctors market themselves today? Have you noticed that? There, now, there are some people in the medical industry that do, obviously. LASIK doctors and plastic surgery-related doctors, cosmetic stuff, because they operate in the free market. 
They market themselves. Now, there is one other group that does market themselves, the Oklahoma Surgery Center. We've talked to them before. They're a free market surgery center, and they do market themselves. They go out and they say, hey, listen, if you you need surgery, here's what we, we offer. It's a tenth of the cost of the hospital down the street that we used to work at. Oh, and by the way, we're also the surgery doctors or the surgeons of the Oklahoma Thunder basketball team the NBA basketball team. So that's how good we are and look how less expensive we are. They market. Imagine a free market of medicine where doctors are competing for your business. Oh no, healthcare is way too important to do that. No, no, no. Healthcare is so important and we must have that. Second thing he said if, with a free market education, new schools would start. Right? He said uh, you'd get an innovative 25-year-old out of college full of energy. And instead of going to Silicon Valley, they'd start a school. Same thing in healthcare. They'd start healthcare companies like Heal. On my, my local show in San Diego, one of our sponsors is Heal. They're in a few different cities now. So if you're listening in in a bigger city, you might have heal. It's incredible. It's uh, it's it's the Uber of doctor house calls. It's in San Diego. It started in Southern California. So I have an app on my phone. I'm not kidding when I say this. I have an app on my phone. Uh, I press a button and a doctor will show up at my house in less than two hours. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week, even Christmas Day, a doctor will show up at your house in less than two hours or you can set a uh, set an appointment. A doctor and a nurse actually come and it's $99 when they come. Or if you have insurance, it's just your doctor copay, 20 bucks or whatever your copay is. That's it. Incredible heal. So it's moved into a bunch of different cities and this will take over. Who knows the types of innovation that would happen in healthcare and health insurance, but the healthcare, the, the innovation is not allowed because it doesn't fit the government model. It doesn't fit the government rubric, the government allowed box. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying we'd have 25-year-old doctors. <laughs> what we'd have is 25-year-old smart people figuring out how to deliver healthcare to people. It's very similar to food. There is no shortage of food in the world. There's no shortage of food. You're saying, oh, but Slater, there's people in third world countries starving. Yeah, that's not because of a lack of food. It's because of problems in food distribution, broken supply lines. And usually it's because of corrupt leaders of those countries or bad infrastructure or something that, that the food's not getting to the people. But there's plenty of food. Same thing here in America. There's plenty of health care. And there could be if the government got out of the way and, and let smart people, smart, innovative people, figure out ways to increase the supply lines to get health care to people who need it and when they need it. But the government's in the way. Won't let that happen. Third thing, the quality of schools would go up. If we had a free market of education, Steve Jobs says the quality of schools would go up. Well, of course, the same thing would happen with healthcare too. You're thinking, oh, but Slater, hospitals would only help wealthy people. Well, they wouldn't, just like Steve Jobs says with car manufacturers. One of the great things of the free market is, is how companies market to lower income people and the cost of things go down and down and down. This is why tech companies make a $200 laptop. If it was true that companies only cater to the rich, then there would be no $200 laptop or inexpensive anything. <laughs> so why wouldn't that also be with healthcare too? 
And then, of course, you have charity on top of that. Here's my biggest point. If, if you have trouble, and I don't mean this insultingly, please, because I have trouble too, but if you have trouble imagining a world with a free market in healthcare, that's not because the free market doesn't work. That's because of the limits of your own imagination and the limits of mine. I, I, I don't know what it would look like either. But I can tell you that 20 years ago, I didn't know what the future of computers would look like. I didn't know what the future of the internet would look like or cell phones or agricultural production or whatever. And look at these advancements of the last 20 years. I didn't know what they were going to be, but that didn't mean that I thought the government should be in charge of them or, or I didn't think the, the free market would be sufficient uh, uh, enough to handle them. <laughs> and you know, the two things that have advanced the least in our country in the last 50 years, what are the, what are the two aspects of our economy of our country that have gotten worse? Healthcare and education. What do these two things have in common? They are the two most government controlled aspects of our economy. And I'm so disappointed at this Republican effort when it comes to healthcare. It is, it was, and it is so pathetic. I don't see how it could be worse. They're not even close. On my local show, someone, someone called in the other day and asked me why I'm not really talking about it. And it's because, I mean, I, I, I could give you the, the day-by-day, play-by-play of the skinny bill or this procedural vote or that, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? If they pass whatever they're passing, it's still terrible. They're not even close. That's my point. They're so far off from what they need to do from having true price transparency to getting more doctors to allowing more doctors to get into healthcare to allowing more competition to decreasing mandates across the board, not just the mandate that says you need to buy insurance, but so many mandates about what insurance needs to be. To turning to get to returning insurance back into what insurance is. And that's, um, catastrophic. I mean, we all know this is so basic. I, I'm even hesitant to say it because it's so obvious. You've heard it a million times, but car insurance doesn't pay for new tires. Car insurance doesn't pay for gas. Car insurance doesn't pay for a new paint job. Car insurance doesn't pay for getting a car wash. It pays for when you get in an accident. Health insurance now pays for everything. It's not supposed to. That's not insurance. That's welfare. So even the Republicans, the only thing they're really talking about is who's going to pay for it. And really, by it, I mean who's going to pay for other people's health care. And if that's all you're talking about, you're, you're so far off. I don't care what you pass. It's terrible. And it's especially terrible knowing what you could have done and what was unprecedented, unprecedented opportunity for what you could have done. Totally, totally whiffed. It's so, so disappointing. I've never been so disappointed in politics my entire life than the Republicans with this health care vote. It's so bad. Totally blew it. One eight 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 nine hundred. Sorry to end on a negative note there, but still know what's possible and fight for what's possible and be inspired by that Steve Jobs clip there. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. See, you know what? I was, I was literally just going to come on and talk about something else. And then I thought, well, you know, artificial intelligence with medicine, as I was talking about in the, the first segment of this hour, artificial intelligence will completely transform medicine as we know it. Like uh, truly it's our saving grace. It's, and it's so weird because some really smart people in this, in the, in the AI field think that it's going to completely destroy society. And it, I think it will in many cases, but also in some things, it's the only thing that will rescue us. Um, because in medicine, when there's no more doctors and there's no more major infrastructure needed and, and machines can do it all, what will that mean? I have no idea, but it will change everything. Anyway, I didn't mean to get off track with that. Um, but AI, artificial intelligence and demographics are the only two things that matter. Or I should say everything is based off those two things. I'll wrap up with this. Someone sent me this article the other day. Um, I'll do the short of it. I didn't think it was a real thing when I was reading the article. And I looked it up. I'm going to read from the UN website, United Nations. Replacement migration. Is it a solution to declining and aging populations? United Nations projections indicate that over the next 50 years, the population of virtually all countries in Europe, as well as Japan, will face population decline and population aging. Replacement migration refers to the international migration that a country would need to offset population decline and population aging resulting from low fertility. So the idea is that these Western countries, as we've talked about before, have a declining birth rate. Every generation, the population is going to be cut in half. So Western countries will not exist anymore. There'll be no people there. There'll be no Germans in Germany. There'll be no Italians in Italy. Um, So they need to be replaced. Why? Because of the welfare states. You know, Margaret Thatcher said the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. I think the problem facing us is eventually you run out of other people. So the idea is from the UN and from Barack Obama, it was and is now still with the UN, to replace declining populations with people from third world countries. The problem with that is twofold. First, a lot of these refugees are on welfare. So they're not, gonna, they're not helping fund welfare programs. They're the ones on the welfare program. And then also when you migrate people from the developing world, most of them are Muslim. So we're talking major fundamental changes to our country with this United Nations plan of replacement migration. Cider Crusaders, have a great rest of your weekend. We'll see you on uh, next Saturday. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.